I'm Erica Lynn, and we all know the ocean is the most demanding environment on Earth, consistently testing the reliability and durability of our equipment. When you spend as much time fishing as I do, you know that reliable gear is essential for staying on the water. This is why I went with Abyss Battery to power my trolling motor, electronics, and outboard. The guys at Abyss Battery are rattling the saltwater industry by manufacturing performance marine batteries specifically designed for sonar, outboards, trolling motors, and electronic fishing reels. They're also Bluetooth compatible, so I found Checking battery statuses right on your phone while you're out on the water is a huge game changer. To learn more about why Abyss batteries are used by the pros and factory installed by Premier Boat Builders, visit AbyssBattery.com. Welcome to the Whitetail Legacy Podcast. Tomorrow is opening day. This morning, then I have a great hunt. Deer didn't move like usual. Yeah, we just got set up in the middle of this bedding thicket. Oh, it's saving this spot from the rut. It's a nice, I think it's a nice bug. <laughs> 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 it's a 170. That was money. I think it's down right up there. 10 yards. Whitetail Legacy Podcast, bringing you back to the hunt and leaving a legacy. Baller rut. Welcome to the Whitetail Legacy Podcast, coming in your ear holes on this beautiful Wednesday of your catching it right off the rip. Um, This week, I talked with Chad from Exodus, and we talk everything trail cams. We talk SD card cams, how they work the science behind them, how they set up, um, best way to set them up. Um, Then we get into cell cams, how they work, how they connect to the network, how they send data, how everything writes to an SD card. Um, I learned some stuff in this episode. And this is just one of those, the going back to the basics, man. We all run these cams. We all love running trail cams. And this is just a way to dig in and learn a little bit more about that camera So maybe when something isn't working right on that camera, we know exactly how to fix it. We talk about a lot of the common things that happen to trail cameras that make them malfunction. Some ways you can test to see if that's a problem. A lot of good intel in this. Huge shout out to Chad and Exodus for supporting me over the last five and a half years of running this podcast and and, uh, coming on the show and and giving us this content. Um, Chad is extremely knowledgeable about trail cams and... uh, and he, he, this is his life. You know, he's a trail cam manufacturer, designer, um, and, you know, he's trying to make the best product with the best warranty for guys out there to buy. Um, getting with Exodus, um, I will no longer be reading ads for Exodus. Uh, what I'm going to be doing now, I'm still working with Exodus, but what I'm going to be doing now is I'm going to be giving you guys an Exodus update. Um, that's what I'm going to be calling it, and it's basically a trail cam update for the week. What I got going on with my trail cams, what I'm lo- what they're looking like, some tips and tricks for tail trail cams, what my SD cards are looking at, where I'm getting the most pictures, um, and just general what is Cody doing with his Exodus cams. So this week's Exodus update wanted to give a shout out to the rival. I just hung a rival with an SB18 solar panel out, um, I had one of the farmers that I hunt, 
he had a run in with um, a logger that they thought maybe the guys, the property line is really old, really vague. So we went out there with the GPS and actually marked out his property. And they had one of the trees marked where he didn't have contact with the logger. So he asked me to go and hang a solar panel or a, a trail camera out, a cell cam out there to monitor if those guys go in there and log. Um, so he gets that absolute direct intel. So now I got a, I got a rival out with SP 18 solar panel completely set up. It's about 15 foot up in a tree angled down. Um, and it's just basically monitoring this trail that they would use, um, to, if they go get those logs. But while doing that, I'm also getting the Intel of there's deer. So I'm getting deer pictures out there as well. So that's what I'm doing with my Exodus as well as the other ones. Um, make sure you get those batteries out of those cams. Make sure you refresh those SD cards and make sure you do all the updates. The render actually has an update right now that needs to be done. So that is the Exodus update for this week. All right, getting into bag of jerks, guys. If you are in the market for some jerky, looking for some exotic jerky, some hot sauce, some elk, some deer um, with a lot of variety, really high quality, check out bag of jerks. Um, wanted to mention that I will be giving away three boxes, um, $80 value boxes, um, to my Patreons. Um, and two more Patreons, I'm giving away a new rival cell cam. Um, so we're right there. I set a limit when we get this number, I'm going to give away a trail cam. And then for the next three months, I'm also going to be giving away these boxes of jerky. Um, and that's something to be looking out at bag of, uh, jerks. They are going to offer, uh, membership boxes that you can get monthly. You can get hot sauce, seasonings, jerky shipped directly to your door. Um, just another option that bag of jerks is going to give you. If you want some jerky, if you want to try it, use code whitetail dash legacy dash 10, uh, that's going to save you 10%, and it also supports the podcast. So, all right, let's get into the show, guys. All right, we got Chad from Exodus going on this morning. How is it going, brother? Oh, it's going pretty good, Cody. Uh, yeah, sorry. I apologize uh, kind of in, in advance for recording so early, but, you know, uh, we got kid stuff going on. We got soccer games and birthday parties and all kinds of crazy stuff this weekend. So I appreciate you uh, – Cutting, cutting some time out of your sleep to record with me. Oh, man, no problem at all. I wake up at 4.40 every day um, for work. Oh. So mm -hmm. my alarm went off, and it was like a normal day for me. You know, um, my my uh, youngest daughter, she's been getting up about 6 anyways. Um, so really, we, we it's 6 there, 5 here. So to start this podcast, I only really lost an hour, like at the max of what I would yep. get. But most of the time I'm up by 5:30, so I already got coffee and oh, I'm ready to rip. So I, right. I appreciate you giving me some time, but you officially hold the record for earliest podcast. Well, I mean we've recorded some at like one or two a.m., you know, but <laughs> the actual <laughs> earliest podcast of the day um, is is rewarded to you. So that's something that you've held over the last five and a half years. That's that's pretty cool. So I love it. I love it. Yeah. Um. So. With this basic series, I'm going over just a bunch of topics that um, a lot of podcasts haven't talked about. People are really enjoying it, and I wanted to have, you know, one thing that almost everybody uses, they use maybe one or two, or they use 30, is trail cams. So I wanted mm -hmm. to have you on to talk about the absolute nuts and bolts of trail cams and what 
people should look for. And then I just seen that you uh, released the Megapixel um, article just here recently. So I thought, well, this is a perfect time to uh, to get you because your mind's yeah. already on the topic. Um, so yeah, yeah. do a quick introduction of who you are and then we'll get right into this. Yeah, no, no problem. Um, Chad Sylvester, co-owner, co-founder of Exodus Outdoor Gear, been around for seven or eight years. Uh, it'd be eight years in May. Um, but we're a D2C company with a kind of a focus on three verticals, one being trail cameras, two being archery, which in our world means arrows. And then um, the third vertical of the company is content. So we spent out a bunch of content, a couple of different podcasts, YouTube channels, um, you know, all, all of that stuff. But that's it in a, in a, you know, 30 second elevator speech. Nice. Yeah. Like we were mentioned before, I've mentioned your guys' stuff on here for five years, but I think you've been working with us for almost five years. Um, but the, just your, your content that you guys produce is just insane to me how much effort and time that you put in, especially with, like you said, you not having much time. Um, cause actually for me recording, this is probably the absolute best time I, I could ever record to, to not interrupt my day with my kids or what I got going on. So I'm right there with you yeah. brother. But, uh, Let's get into just the absolute basic nuts and bolts of a regular SD card camera, um, how sure. they work. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, I guess to uh, to start off, you know, a lot of people, there's a lot of misconceptions when it comes to trail cameras. And that's, and that's one of the reasons why we, we started putting out content eight years ago was to, um, you know, not only help educate our customers, but anyone who uses stroke cameras, like what we, the things that we talk about are applicable. So at the very core essence or basics, um, a, a trail camera is triggered by the change of infrared radiation in the environment. So a lot of people think like it's a motion sensor or, um, something, you know, crosses that screen or runs across the, the field of view or detection area and the camera's triggered, but the camera is essentially, um, taking a reading of like the ambient um, IR levels, infrared radiation levels. And then when there's a change from one element inside that sensor to the next, that's when the camera knows it takes, um, needs to record a file. So the camera wakes up from rest when that happens, um, captures the photo or video, and then proceeds to basically write that uh, to your SD card. And, you know, a lot of times when people start to have, uh, maybe a lesser experience with a product 99% of the time people want to blame the product, but the, uh, the inverse of that is actually true. There's, there's more user error and user created problems with trail cameras than what most people realize. And number one, that starts with, um, that starts with a power source, right? So miss the misuse of batteries or using the wrong batteries in these devices causes more problems than what, people actually realize because the entire trail camera works off of voltage. It works off of voltage signals and that's how one piece of hardware communicates to the next. So uh, if you take a 12 volt product, a lot of times that operating voltage is going to be between nine to 12 volts. If you have less than nine volts, the, the, the product's probably not going to uh, work or work at least correctly. And the lower you get to that nine volt threshold, the, the kind of the worse the performance gets. But when you talk about power sources, um, 
you know, a lot of guys want to go to Dollar General or buy basically buy the cheapest batteries they can get, which are most of the time some type of um, we'll call them like generic alkaline batteries. But the problem with alkaline batteries, there's a couple problems with them. One, the voltage starts at 1.5 volts, and then the uh, voltage loss or discharge rate is kind of um, it's a steady line. So every time that camera takes a photo or takes a video, you lose a little bit of voltage. And if you're running a 12 volt product with on eight batteries, once you get to 1.2 volts, once you drop below that threshold, that camera is not going to work right. So, um, you know, best practice with power sources, get something um, that has a, a better discharge rate than alkaline batteries. Typically, we're talking about lithium batteries, which, uh, to be honest, they're a pain in the butt to find right now. They're super expensive. Um, so even if lithiums aren't an option, there's some better long-term investments like uh, external power sources, solar panels, those those sorts of things. Um, but at the very, I guess, basic level, that's typically how that's how a uh, trail camera gets triggered. That's how it writes it writes uh, your photo to the SD card. Yeah, that's something that I didn't I didn't even know until following your content. Um, that's like. I can't remember what episode it was, but it was one of the very first episodes. I had no idea who you guys were. I didn't know anything about the product, and you guys just come out and just cleaned house on, um, like, this is what actually matters with the trail cam, um, mm -hmm. and this is pretty much gimmicks and stuff. And you guys were talking about that in there, and I always thought it was some kind of sensor um, that split the screen, and it wasn't, you know, it's, it needed motion, you know, and not a change a change so when when you're talking about um those battery sources mm -hmm. the what i what i seem to figure out at the end of the year is i I bought a battery tester this year and uh mm -hmm. i went and pulled 11 of my full set cams um just two days ago and yesterday um i was kind of organizing everything it was decent out i was out in the garage and um i was pulling those batteries out and a lot of times it was only one or two of them that were actually bad, mm -hmm. that, you know, mm -hmm. that killed the whole entire system. Um, and they're they're definitely not good to put back in in a cam, you know what I mean? But it just goes to show you that all it takes is, you know, pulling a few volts off one of those batteries to drain the whole system. Unlike lithiums that stay they stay constant, correct, until they're pretty much done. Yeah, um, you could think of a of a lithium double A cell like a like a Dewalt power drill or like any kind of eighteen twenty volt um, battery operated tool, where you could take like an impact and you could run like a thousand screws into a deck board. You know, you're building a deck and you could run a thousand screws with that with that drill, and then all of a sudden, in two screws, the battery's completely dead. So lithium double A's work kind of in the same manner. They have a constant voltage output of um, usually it's 1.6 something. So just North of 1.6 volts and that voltage, um, discharge rate is relatively constant out to three amp hours. And I think when you, when you get super technical and start looking at, um, those batteries under a pulse load, you, you do have a little bit of voltage, uh, drop there underneath those pulse loads. Um, and that's kind of applicable when you start to look at, when you start to look at cell cameras, the way those modules fire up and that um, your power source gets put put under a pulse load. 
Nice. Yeah, that's that's something that I I learned from you guys as well. There's not a lot of like information out there about batteries until you start digging around and I wouldn't even think you just buy the batteries, put them in the cams and and get them running, you know, but luckily there's guys out there like you that says, "Hey, this this is an option, but there's a way better option out there." Um since right. we're on the topic, let's this is something that I am not very familiar with just from the content that you've guys released. Um I have never ran one. Let's talk about the the SP18 solar panels or you know, kind of how they work and what you can expect mm-hmm. if you have one of those. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think, um, you know, any of these renewable external power sources are, are becoming, um, there's a bigger desire for them in a the marketplace because of the cost of the one-time lithiums. Right. I mean, you, if you're, uh, if you're not, you know, planning those lithium battery purchases out and rent and you just run down to the hardware store or, walmart or wherever to buy these things then you're going to pay like 25 bucks for eight batteries or more um so that's where with the rising cost limited supply these external power sources are becoming a much bigger player in the marketplace but essentially what our product is um if you can imagine like an eight by eight or seven by seven one inch thick square um basically there's a panel on top of that so you're capturing um solar power through those cells and then inside that product we have two rechargeable 18650 batteries with a small pcb board that um so basically the panel is charging the internal batteries of that product and then that product's putting out a constant 12 volt one amp uh source to to your trail camera so um you know a lot of guys are wanting to get into cell cameras and that's really what that product was meant for but because of the way uh you know battery prices are now there's a lot of guys buying these things and using them on regular sd card cameras because you make your money back in the first 18 months the product more than pays for itself but um yeah i think that's i mean do you have any specific questions on, on oh no the, yeah on I, the solar panel? yeah i was just it the uh that like i said it's something that i'm interested in running um with that <clears throat> with the rechargeable it's just a plug and plug and play right you you set it up you plug it in and you can kind of um forget about it correct it's going to run the cam yeah. um that's it man that's yep. that's nice i got a lot of spots like that are kind of hard to get to that would be so beneficial for that and then i also have spots that like i always run a cam in the same spot um and one thing that I kind of did a bad job of this year um, was I did a lot of long-term cam sets. And uh, mm-hmm. it's really hard to know. I, I hung them too early is what happened. And I lost battery. A lot of them lost battery around that 15th, 20th of November. Um, and I didn't oh. get much content after that. Um, and uh, when I, I went and pulled 11, and seven of them took pictures of when I walked up. Um, so the other ones were anywhere from, like I said, the 15th of November to the 1st of December is when I lost that data. And I was trying to get some of that late season, um, data. Cause I, for some reason I'm noticing like November 20th to December to first really good cold stretch in December. It's almost probably a mm-hmm. month. I would say November 20th to December 20th. That's the hardest time for me to find a big deer and hunt a big deer. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, 
If we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com waypoint. That's mintmobile.com waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com waypoint. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Eating better is easy with Factors' delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, which is the one I like, and Keto. Get started today and get after your goals. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are are ready to heat and eat so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 and use the code waypointpod50 to get 50% off. That's waypointpod50 at factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 to get 50% off here. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know what it is about that time. I get my butt kicked during that time. Um, and I was like, I'll just, I'm just going to run a bunch of cams on ag, bunch of cams, you know, on spots that don't get hunted a lot, low pressure and try to find, but a lot of these cameras died because I hung them too early. Um, but right. if you had those solar panels, that's something that you wouldn't even have to worry about. Um, it'd be really nice to know, okay, this thing is working 100%. Um, and right. just not even think about it with those solar panels. Do they need to be out in open areas or can you put them in, and you know, in hardwoods situations or how much sun do they actually need to, to work? Well, they will, um, you know, every product's probably a little bit different. Um, so take this with uh, a grain of salt but our our uh our product actually it'll charge on the photo period so you don't need to have it in direct sun however you're going to cut down on the charging efficiency of uh of the of those cells if you're not in direct sunlight so um you know if you can get it in direct sun that is always best but it will charge uh based on the photo period which you know when when you're setting these these things up with um, I mean, I guess more people are using them with cell cameras, so we'll start there, but, uh, you, sh- you can set these things up in September with a cell camera and run them for the season. So six plus months, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of use cases that have gone over a year, a year is kind of not out of the question in, in one of these setups with a cell camera. Um, I have one particular setup that's been going up for four, three years. It'll be over three years this summer. I haven't, I haven't touched it in three years. Wow. Um, so with a regular SD card camera, dude, you could get these things out in, uh, June, July, and then they will run the entire season. I mean, you can wait till turkey season, take them down. How, oh, yeah. Um, how beneficial and, and still for, have plenty of power. for someone out of state or someone that doesn't get to a property very often. I mean, man, that that's just, that's the only way to go about it where you would, you would 
pretty you know if you had to travel say to like kansas or something just to yep. like pull cards and change batteries like you could literally pay for all all these just off your gas money in, in one year to, to not have to drive out there to do that cam battery switch <laughs> so absolutely um i told i was talking to my wife i said you, you know, you, you look at the price up front, but then you're looking at the battery price, but you also got to think about the time that you went to change batteries, the gas that you drove to this ground to go specifically change the batteries on that cam. Um, where it's something you don't even have to think about. So I'm going to invest pretty heavily in getting uh, probably four or five, six of these out and, uh, and trying them out. So I'm excited about that. But um, one thing I want to mention is just since you did that article, um, Go ahead and touch on the megapixel thing and maybe some things that if you're going to buy some cams, what the main basics that you want to look for. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think, um, again, going back a decade ago, there was no real authorit authoritative figure um, in this space educating people about um, about trail cameras. I know, you know, starting the company kind of scratched my own itch as a as a consumer. Um you know, you walk into a retail store or a trade show or whatever, and you're hit with all these like marketing specifications. We call it internally, we call it jargon, a way that a lot of these uh, other companies do things. And megapixels is one of those because I think when you take a take a stroll down your uh, the aisle at your local retailer, you have all these specifications on the box and typically guys are looking for like higher numbers like the faster the trigger speed the better the camera that has to work like that the more megapixels um in that camera the, the better the photo quality is going to be um but what people don't realize is the the board space on these cameras is the real estate there is so small the, the actual sensor size is like the size of someone's thumbnail that's the actual size of that sensor so when people start looking and uh, talking about megapixels they automatically assume the higher that that number, the better the photo quality is going to be. And in actuality, what the question you should be asking isn't how many you know megapixels are the pictures, but what is the native uh, pixel size on that image sensor? And most image sensors these days, um, over ninety percent of them are three point one megapixels on the high end, which does you know native HD, ten eighty p video, thirty frames second but when someone says my trail camera i have a 30 megapixel trail camera more than likely there's a three megapixel image sensor in that uh, in that camera and those photos are being um enlarged through a process called interpolation which that is essentially just software inside or a program inside um, the firmware on that camera that takes a native pixel and in the case where you have a three megapixel uh, image sensor and you have uh, 30 megapixel images, it's taking each pixel and dividing that up or duplicating it by 10 um, to expand the file size. So it doesn't necessarily do anything for the clarity of the photo, the sharpness of the photo, um, the balance of the coloring or anything like that. It just creates artificial pixels or duplicate pixels to make the file larger. And uh, unfortunately, companies use that as a as a marketing ploy because again the higher the number on the box the easier it is to sell yeah that's like the biggest number on the box too they normally have like that like 
expanded real big, like on the side, you know, 18 megapixel or 24 megapixel. Like it's the biggest right. number, like draw um, for people. And before I listened to your guys' episode, I kind of thought the same thing. Like, okay, it's going to be a higher quality, you know, because it's the hunting industry is weird with technology. A lot of us aren't really techie people that haven't done the research to understand this product. We just buy it and put it out, you know? So, right. Um, when I heard that, I'm thinking there's probably times in the past I could have bought a much better cam quality cam that, but I'm going for that megapixel thinking that I'm getting the good deal. But when actuality, I'm not, um, one one more um, just question on basic SD card cams. When that file is written to the SD card, how exactly does that work? Um, is it? Yeah. So um, when you start to think about that process, um, it gets a little bit technical with like file allocation tables and structures of the card and what Kodak the camera is using. But essentially you're taking um, the camera takes a photo, right? And if you think of that sensor size, um, it takes a frame of that image. And if you were to divide that image into like sections and quadrants, so like columns and rows, um, you'd have like column ABC and then row one, two, three. And this is just an example. Um, you would when when the when the camera writes that to a card, that photo is actually scrambled. So it might take the information from quadrant A one, and when it writes it to the card, it might put it in B four. Um, and then when you put that SD card into uh, a, a viewing device, so a computer, or laptop, or whatever, the that device, the viewing device, has to rearrange those pixels back into um, the original photo. And that's all done through voltage, voltage signals. Again, going back to how important your power sources are on um, on, on trail cameras, um, all of that information is moved from your sensor to that SD card through through voltage. And that's crazy. The technology that's in those little boxes it just blows my mind. How you can get it, you can get it on this little card, and you can bring it home. Especially video, video just mind boggles me. Um, and that's something with your guys' cam, dude. The videos are just awesome. You know, you can set them for five seconds, eight seconds, ten seconds, and you get so much intel. And I'm just like, how is it writing to this little card? And then I bring it home, and, like, the card has 25 gigs on it. Which, like, if you would have <laughs> said that 15 years ago, people would be like, no way. You know, 20 years ago, that would have been, like, an insane right. amount of content on one little piece of device. I mean, it would have took an hour and a half 20 years ago to, to get that to upload, you know, like yeah, maybe longer. Right. And now you plug it in and this is just mind blowing to me. Um, so let's get into cell cams. And, uh, these are huge. I run a ton of them They're I think they're the biggest, uh, and the best change for a guy that has kids and, and time, um, limited time to hunting um, in the past 10 years, probably. Um, but go ahead into the basics of how a, a cellular cam works. Well, the, the fundamentals, um, obviously, they're, they're going to be the same as a, as a basic SD card camera with basically two main differences. One, 
you have a cellular module on on um, on that PCB board or inside that camera, you have a cell cellular module, which is going to be uh, technology specific around different carriers, right? So Verizon, AT&T, that module has to support whatever band um, carrier that the camera is, is connecting to or using uh, on the network side. And then the other addition would be uh, your your antennas, right? So a lot of products have uh, two antennas. I know it, even though that when you look at most of the 4G LTE cameras these days, they only have a single external antenna. But a lot of times there's an internal patch antenna. Patch antenna is like what you have on your phone, right? And then you have the one external antenna um, on the outside of the camera. But essentially the, that camera, the cell, cell camera is number one, you have to, you have to have signal, right, for that camera to work. So think of your cell phone. The better the signal you have, the better the the, the cell camera is going to work. Um, you have to have data for that camera, um, and the camera has to be active, right? And I mean, active is active. It is uh, the the product itself has been activated through the carrier or through that uh, fleet activation or however that specific company is doing it. Um, so once you have all of that stuff going. Um, Essentially, what what the camera is doing, it's taking a photo. It's writing it to the SD card. It's going to get compressed, so you writes that full size image, um, and it's going to get compressed and then uploaded through the network to the mobile app on your phone. Um, and a lot of folks think, if I have an AT and T phone, I need to have an AT and T cell camera. That's you know that's a pretty big um, misconception. Whatever camera you have so if you have a Verizon camera or an AT&T camera a T-Mobile camera that specific device just needs that type of coverage where you're putting it in the field it does not matter on your personal phone phone provider it's um you know we get that question a lot at trade shows and the example we give is you know if you if you reside in Maine and you're using an AT&T phone um you know, you can, if you have a buddy in Texas that's using Sprint, like he can still send you photos. He can still send you texts. You guys can still communicate uh, machine to machine without any, without any barriers there. So cell cameras are essentially, um, you can think of them as um, machine to machine communication where there's a server um, that kind of acts as the, uh, the middle part of that communication process. So the camera communicates to the server, and then that mobile application or web portal or whatever you're using on your phone is also talking to uh, to that server. Man, it's crazy. Like I said, how much technology is is packed in those little little cams. And and shout out to you guys. They're, your new rival cam. I love the size of that thing, dude. That thing's about perfect. Um, it, it, it is tiny. Yeah, I, I like a small cam like that. You could, they're easier to pack. They're easier to hang. Easier to hide. Um, and you kind of, you guys kind of went back to that uh that camoy kind of look too that blends in really well. Um, mm -hmm. I, I like that a lot. But for, for the cell cams is when you're uh, when you're setting those up. I know service is huge, and I know that you guys do have extended um, extended antennas as well. Mm -hmm. um, that's something I've never had to use either. Um, with it with the be with it being AT and T this year, I'm pretty excited about that because they they actually have very very good coverage it's not something that people think really about um but in my area at least they they are they do really well 
Um, but is there anything specific when you're setting those up that you need to do different than a, than an SD card camera? Um, yeah, there's, uh, you know, I think when people are setting SD card cameras up, um, you know, we, we have a process we go through that. It's more than just turning the camera on and walking away. Um, cause a lot of the, you know, when we start talking about traditional SD card cameras, a lot of those sets are for lo- those long-term, um, long-term data collection, just, just like exactly what kind of what you're doing, Cody. Um, so on the cell camera side, when you're placing them, placement isn't, you know, really any different um, as far as, you know, strategically hanging them. But we always tell people there's two things you need to do before you walk away from a cell camera. Number one is you want to uh, get a status report with your phone. So on your phone, you want to be able to get that first status report from your camera and a status report is just basically a snapshot in time with the camera information. So like uh, available SD card space, what your power source is, what your signal levels are, uh, your SD card capacity, a status report can give you a snapshot in time of the information on that camera. So number one, you want to make sure you're getting a status report before you leave that camera location. Because that status report is happening when the camera is making the connection to the network. So you're confirming basically that the camera is connected to the network and it has signal, it has service, and there's communication there. So that's step one. Um, step two is you want to make sure that camera is transmitting photos before you leave. So, um, you know, with all of our cameras, you have what we call OTA functions. It's just OTA stands for over the air. So you have the ability to change and manage settings um, in a 24-7 kind of capacity from your phone. So it is always best when you're setting these things up to keep them in real time or live mode or whatever mode that the the manufacturer is calling um, kind of that real time upload interval. So like when the camera is taking a photo, you're going to get it immediately. Um, you want to keep the camera in that real-time setting. Make sure you're walking through uh, that detection area after you get a stash report to make sure that the camera is writing to the SD card properly and then uploading. I think one of the biggest uh, hang-ups with cell cameras can be um, they're relatively picky with SD cards. So when folks aren't following the manufacturer's recommendation on an SD card, the camera could have signal. It could be sending your status reports or your um, update reports. It could be taking photos and writing them to the SD card, but not uploading them. So you got to be careful what you're, uh, you know, with what type of SD cards you're using in these devices. Um, but I, I guess as far as setting a camera up and walking away from it, those are two things that are absolutely critical uh, that I think everyone should do when they're setting cell cameras up. Because the last thing you want to go, I mean, the whole point of a cell camera is to set it and forget it. Let us do it. Let let the camera do uh, its work and cut down on human intrusion. And and number two, you're saving yourself time. So the last thing you want to go do is go back into that area the next day or two days later or three days later um, because it's not uploading photos. Right. So that's uh, those are two things you need to do to cover your bases there. All right. Yeah, that's that. There's nothing more frustrating than getting that set up and. You know, you walk away and 
you didn't do the proper the proper setup before you leave, and then you have to go back there a couple of days later. Um, but with that with the Scout Tech app, it's it's nice to be able to get that picture as well and wait around because then you know kind of what the cam's looking at. It's too low, it's too high, um, etc. Before you walk away, because um, like you said, you don't want to come back to that thing when when you hang it. That's the beauty of a cell cam. You can kind of forget about it completely and just let it, let it collect content. Um, so over the the years of uh, you know you've been doing this for a long time. You've you've worked with a lot of people on on the uh, the troubles and troubleshooting of tra- trail cams. If there's something that you think is the number one issue for people out there that are setting these up or having problems with their cams, what do you, what would you believe that is? Oh boy. Um, well, I think, I think from a, from a user standpoint, power is, is number one, right? I, we've already touched on that, but I think that's the biggest thing that people have that causes people problems is, is our power sources. Um, but beyond that, like some things to uh, think about on the camera side, it, um, there's a, there's a couple things there that happen and people think that there's a problem. Number one, like when people get, if the camera is not taking any nighttime photos or the nighttime photos are coming out black, um, kind of two separate problems here, but this is something that we'll get a lot is well, my camera's working during the day, but it, it's not capturing any, any night images. And again, that goes back to power, like having the correct power source. The camera is working during the day, unless you have a certain type of setting, like your operating hours are specified to only work during daylight hours. The camera physically cannot not take a picture if it has the, the correct power there at, um, during uh, nighttime operation. And then if you're getting all like, black photos during at night or you have pink photos during the day like your your photos are coming through during the day with like a pink or purple tint or hue to them um that's a result of a failing um uh, ir sensor or uh, yeah ir filter excuse me um so all trail cameras that use an artificial flash so if you have a camera that's operating like on a red flash or a low glow camera or a black flash invisible flash any type of um, wavelength on that uh, on the ir spectrum um, on the ir side of the uv spectrum there has to be a filter that drops over that lens and image sensor for the camera to be able to capture the artificial light and that works off the light metering system of the camera but at times your filter can get stuck um, or it could just not open and close correctly. Um, it could be power related or it could be the physical mechanical device is actually broken. But when you start to get pink photos during the day, it's because your IR filter is stuck. Or if you get all black um, night images, it's because your IR filter is stuck. Some guys think if when they get those black photos that their flash isn't working at night. And typically that's not the case. It's typically the, uh, typically the IR filter. So that's something um, to watch out for. If, if you have that problem, um, you need to get with your manufacturer. They need to get that uh, corrected for you. And then another common thing people run into is um, like false images, false triggers. And some at times when, when cameras are taking pictures when, of things that, you know, there's nothing in frame. There's still something triggering that camera, obviously, but people tend to think that 
you know, the camera's malfunctioning. And if the camera is malfunctioning, it's, we call, we consider that a runaway PIR, where the camera is taking um, a photo basically every five seconds or every 10 seconds or however you have that trigger delay set up. If, you're tr if, if those trigger events are matching your trigger delay, you could have a runaway PIR. And the easiest way to test that is just, just take that camera, set it up in a one-shot, um, one, in, in photo mode, one-shot burst. Make sure you have a, a clean formatted SD card. You have the right power source. And you could turn that camera on and stick it in like some type of static environment. So you could that could be like a closet or a kitchen cabinet or whatever the case is. Or you can even just like uh, face it against the wall, like directly against the wall. And you can let that camera run for five minutes. If it's taking pictures nonstop for five minutes in the static environment, then you know the camera's faulty. If you only have a picture of like when you're first setting the camera up and then maybe when you're, um, you know, pick it, pick it back up, turn it off, then the camera's operating correctly. So that's a, those are a couple easy things that people run into or a couple things that people run into um, that you can kind of troubleshoot fairly easy on your own before, uh, you know, going through the step of steps of uh, reaching out to somebody's service team. I've, yeah, I've had all those issues before, and uh, I, I had one la last year that was the PR was stuck on it, and I called you guys. And that's the best thing about you guys is you're just like, yep, they'll take care of it. And you get, man, I got those cans back fast too. I wasn't expecting to get um, the warranties back out there that quick, but uh -huh. um, it was it was a nice turnaround time to to be out of the game and then be back in the game um, really quick. Uh, so that's just something that with you guys, you don't really have to worry about, but it was nice to be able to, um, take that cam and you, you told me to do the, you know, the stagnant setup and see if it was still, still working. Um, and I did that and I'm like, yep, that's the problem. So it's nice to be able to do that instead of sending it off and wasting your time, um, <laughs> to, to come there and be like, well, it's actually your fault that this camera isn't working, which more than, <laughs> more than likely a lot of these problems are you know user created just because um the people that are running these cams are kind of like me they're a little tech savvy but they're not 100 percent understanding exactly what's going on when they're using these cams it just it does this and i'm not sure why but i really like that it does it so i'm gonna keep using it <laughs> so right well I'm, i don't want to waste your whole morning um i do want you to go over your new cell cam real quick um just kind of the basic nuts and bolts of it. And then we'll wrap it up and let you get on with your day. I know it's going to be busy. Yeah, man. I think, um, you know, we've been in a, in the cell game now, I think for four years, I think, uh, when we first created the Exodus render, it was back in 2000, I think it was 2019. And when we tackled that project, uh, the marketplace was just starting to shift into cell cameras. And for us, for our first kind of product release into that niche of the market, um, we wanted to be number one. We wanted to be number one in a lot of different, um, a lot of different metrics. And uh, with, you know, with class leading performance, typically you're spending more money on the product, which results in a, in a higher price tag. Um, so when we released our first camera, first cell camera back in 19 that was the that was kind of the approach is okay we, we, we want to have the fastest transmission speeds we want to have live before the live thing was like now it's just a, a kind of almost a standard feature but you know four years ago having live capabilities in a camera was kind of unheard of 
Um, we wanted OTA, we wanted full remote OTA commands. So when we when we spit that product out in 19, it resulted in a higher price tag, which matched the kind of the demand in the marketplace. But since then, um, you know, cell cameras have become way more widely adopted. I, you know, I, I think that we probably hit critical mass with cell cameras probably last year. Um, there's still some first time buyers out there, but I think for the most part, guys who wanted to dabble in, in with cell cameras have made that leap in the last uh, last 12 to 18 months. So with that, there's more and more guys that want to run cell cameras at volume. You know, maybe they two years ago, they bought one, they liked it. And now they want instead of one, they want five, six or seven because of the time savings that they have on the back end. So when we launched the the Exodus rival a couple of weeks ago, um, we looked at what we did with the render and said, okay, what, what the hell, what can we strip out of this thing to lower our manufacturing costs so we can retail it for less. Um, and sometimes like people were known for the warranty and people, you know, uh, are kind of blown away with that, with the five-year warranty and the service policies. But at times it hinders us because we can't put out a camera for a hundred dollars. More than likely it's, it's next to impossible for us to do that and uh, be able to carry, you know, a 60 month warranty on, on the product. So with arrival, we said, what are the basic needs or basic functions, the basic hardware that we have to absolutely have for it to transmit photos and anything that's not on that list, like, let's just get rid of it. So essentially <clears throat> that simplistic mindset is, is uh, what the excess rival was stemmed from to be able to get our price point down uh, under that, you know, sub $200, right around that 175, 180 mark, uh, to be more competitive with guys who wanted to run five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten of these cameras versus spending $300 on one cell camera. Um, so the, the rival is just a very simplistic camera. There's basically an on-off switch with some LED indicators um, inside the housing, smaller profile, uh, change the tooling a little bit compared to, you know, our I guess our generation one housing. Um, that the excess render used, the Lift 2 used, the Trek used, the Lift 1 all used that uh, original tooling. Um, but the camera, being simplistic, it still does everything that the render does. So you still have the live demands or the live commands. You still have uh, real-time uploads. Transmission speeds are still sub-30 seconds for photo and video. Um, and that all of that boiled into you know that $175, $180 uh, price point leaves it ultra competitive against, you know, those cell cameras that are $125 or $150 uh, that come with a one-year warranty. Um, so market has definitely responded to it. Um, we launched that back in January and we sold out of our, the completely, or, or the, that first production run was sold out. So we have a uh, way to go back to the factory and build a few thousand more. And those are, those are uh, on their way. Um, as we speak so we'll have those back in stock here in a couple in a, about a week maybe nice week yeah. 10 days i was i knew you guys were going to blow out when i watched was watching the live um i was like okay this is exactly what everybody's been asking for so let's see how it does and then i was like this this is gonna so i snagged too just because i was like i don't you know you never know like when there's a good thing you got to grab a couple because in case it you know you can't get them but um I know in the the COVID years everybody was struggling to get stuff, but it seems that's that's past us. So glad to hear they'll be back in stock. And like you said, with a 
you guys smash it with a with a five year warranty with that kind of price tag. I'm not sure how you guys did it, um, but props to you guys for doing it because there's it, the the older I get, the more important having just nice stuff to work with um, is important to me because there's nothing worse than a cam that is a junk cam for one, um, and then for two. And it lasts a year, and then you have no customer service that's worth a crap to take care of you, you know, unlike you guys where it's just, like I said, it, it it's broken? Okay, yeah, let's let's get it fixed for you. You know, it's just, it just blows me blows me away at that price tag for what you guys did. So um, congratulations to you guys. I know that wasn't an easy task to, to get done. I couldn't imagine the logistics of getting – the cams built and shipped and the five-year warranty and all that. Um, I know it's been a hell of a grind for you, but congratulations, dude. Thanks, man. It's exciting. Um, you know, that was, uh, the, the feedback that we, or I guess the input we've, we've gotten from consumers, um, over the last couple of years, to your point, that is what they wanted. Um, so that's one of the new cameras we have, uh, for, for 2023 so far. It's been a, you know, a giant hit. So I think, uh, I think we struck a chord with the, the marketplace. All right, man. Well, I hope you enjoy the rest of your day and thanks for coming on and, uh, telling us a little bit more about trail cams. Appreciate it, man. All right. Well, that wraps it up with Chad. Hopefully you guys learned something new about trail cams or maybe just touch base on something that you already knew that you forgot about in a nutshell, make sure those power sources are good. Make sure those SD cards are good. Um, and, uh, and set those cams up. One thing I wanted to mention in this uh, that I learned over the years is a lot of p times you're hanging an elevated cam and it'll be crooked or something. Those cams need to be straight up and down. That does have a giant factor on how um, how these cams work with those sensors being on each side of the camera um, to, to get those false triggers and, and stuff like that. So one thing that I wanted to mention at the end of the show, um, well, like always, guys, appreciate you tuning in all the way to the end um, and and if it's uh it's March now and you guys are still trying to learn something a little bit extra to make your season that much better this year and props to you for for tuning in and and trying to make it happen um like always try to do the right thing this week I'll be coming at you next Wednesday um and hopefully I'll be expecting you guys to do the right thing so hopefully you made it all week um and try to leave a legacy and Whitetail Legacy is out until we're coming in your ear holes next Wednesday at 11 a.m. Central Time.